0: to what's your bliss part of the anything but credible network my name is thomas ragland and i'm delighted to be coming back to you another week this week's guest is a coach trainer and change facilitator (laughs) nick simmons nick welcome to the show and please tell us what's your bliss well thank you very much for having me
1: um i was i was thinking about the question and i think i've got two two answers one of which i think might be a bit uh how should we put this, um, common, and one that may be less so. Sure. And the the first thing that comes to mind really is the thing that, that brings me bliss is my family. Hmm. And um, I'm at the age now, or more importantly, my children are at the age now where they've moved out. They hmm. don't live with us. And... You know, just thinking about those times when we have them together is the word is blissful. You know, they are they're they're lovely human beings (laughs) in spite of their parents or in spite of their father. (laughs) Their mother's mother's an excellent parent. And um, it's joyous to to share time with them. And it is interesting how well I sleep the night after I see my kids and I sleep pretty well most of the time, (laughs) but there is a a different quality to that. That's wonderful.
0: Um, When, when thinking about that, do you feel, I I mean, I think certainly as a parent of young kids and a parent of, of an adult child, who's also moved out, I think there's, obviously there's chaotic days and things like that, but do you feel, do you feel that bliss has always been there for, kind of how you felt around your family? Or is that something that's really come up as you maybe don't see them as often? Um,
1: I would say that in my circumstance, it was much less so. (laughs) I don't think I was aware of them. When when we shared a home and you see your kids every day, like everything, we don't, we become... Immune to the specialness of it, and um, it's only when you get it rarely or less frequently that you you appreciate it as much. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so yeah, there was certainly certainly plenty of non blissful days with (laughs) with children growing up.
0: Yeah, I I talk about this a lot, but I I live in Colorado and we have a ton of mountains and the, uh, I've always taken them for granted. And, uh, when I left, I, uh, and to kind of travel around, I missed them a lot. <laughs> and even though that's different from, from family, like it really is that if you grow up with it, if you're around it all the time, you, you maybe sometimes just take those things for granted.
1: Mm. Yeah, no, I'm sure we do. And and I think it's just part of the human condition. Um, you know, you, you, you can't, <laughs> Just just look at the, you know, um, we're both wearing glasses, you know, <laughs> glasses are the most amazing thing. I'd be stumbling around <laughs> with a stick if, right. if I didn't have glasses. But I don't spend my life going, oh, these things are wonderful.
0: Right. Uh, yeah. We wouldn't get anything done. <laughs> No, absolutely. I, I, that's that's a really good point, and and something I wouldn't have thought of. And now today, I would be like, oh, a lot of gratitude for <laughs> that ability to see. Certainly, um, with your kids, like, what what types of things uh, are you all doing when they when they come back? I mean, is it is it hanging out and, and eating? Is it uh, you know just just catching up with them? What what does that typically look like for you?
1: Yeah, typically it's 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 hanging out and eating. Like, um, we also have a. Um, We've had a shared interest that's turned into a career for my younger son. Um, He's uh, he's now a stand up comedian. And um, so it's it's an amazing thing to go and see your child perform with family and then just hang out. That's, you know, and it's it's so interesting seeing how other people relate to your children. And when they treat them as adults and as, um, you know, real people of worth. Yeah. It's like, I mean, obviously, I love them. (laughs) But, you know, there's no reason for other people to. And when they do, it's it's
0: just fab. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It's purely on merit at that point, right? Um, or and and not necessarily like merit in the way of like meritocracy, but but more that they they've earned that uh, appreciation, they've earned that love. Where as obviously as a parent, it's it's from the beginning. <laughs> and yeah, so, we uh,
1: we sort of don't get a choice, do we? we... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, evolution for you.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, I'm wondering if uh, you know, the things that you've learned from, from being able to really sit in that bliss with your family, um, are those things that you've been able to apply to other pieces of your life, to your work, any of that? Well, that's, it's
1: interesting, because so one of my areas of specialism is in communication and I can trace back exactly the point at which um, this was sparked i mean Mm. as a child i was often i often felt i was misunderstood um so i always had that thing growing up but when my youngest was um two years old he was diagnosed and we we took him to um uh, one of the big hospitals in central london and he has these tests and these scans and then my wife and I and Aaron were wheeled in to see this doctor and she explains about what she's found and at the end of the meeting uh, well I remember saying to her well, is there any treatment yeah. nope it's a condition it's not a it's not treatable it's just the way it is and at, he was just under two years old and he the question I had for her is, will he walk or will he talk? Because he was doing neither at the time. And she said, don't know. Yeah. There's the door. Like, yeah. And we went out. And I remember clearly I'm pushing Aaron. My wife's next to me. And I said to her, so he's got cerebral palsy. And Lorraine said to me, no, he hasn't. That's yeah. not what she said. And so before we could deal with our experience of discovering we had a child with a disability, we had to get on the same page with understanding what had been communicated to us. Mm -hmm. It had been so (laughs) badly communicated (laughs) that I had one understanding. My wife had a different understanding and Uh, (laughs) I I realised how critical communication is. Mm -hmm. Um, And then to discover this child, by the way, who wasn't walking, wasn't talking, and um, then creates a career as a stand-up comedian, which is basically, as far as I'm concerned, they are the most expert speakers. Mm -hmm. They are so careful with what they say. You know, every word is considered and maybe one word swapped in for another. They're they're just brilliant. I mean, I'm I'm in awe of all of the greats. They're just, they're they're superb.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I'm struck by this idea of someone who wasn't walking, wasn't talking and that they're, their entire career now is walking and talking. Right. <laughs> and um, yeah, that that's, that's truly amazing. And uh, also as someone who's dealt with doctors who don't give you any information, uh, either for yourself or your children. Uh, yeah, it's it, not only incredibly frustrating, but it's, it's terrifying in a lot of ways, because then it's, well, what do we do? And if we're not given that information, we're not, not all of us, uh, medical professionals. And so to, to try to deal with that, I'm sure it was pretty scary for for both of you how did that um it sounds like you you said you had two kind of different thoughts of what had been said and and interpretations how did you all end up reconciling that and and how did that end up playing out i mean obviously it's played out very well now but how did it you know how did that kind of the immediate aftermath go
1: to be honest we're now talking nearly 30 years ago sure absolutely (laughs) i don't recall but i tell you what though We had another very unfortunate situation when my father-in-law passed away and we were in hospital and there was myself, my wife, my mother-in-law, my sister-in-law and her husband. And the doctors who came in and gave us the news, they gave us the news so beautifully, so carefully. I was on one hand, obviously, I was absorbing the news and was upset by it another part of my brain was going, they are so good at what they are doing here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm so sure. Uh, yeah. So sure, just, just quite the uh, quite the difference, right? The juxtaposition between the two, I'm sure, was uh, well. It sounds like very welcome, uh, certainly. Yes. Uh, so, stand-up comedy you mentioned was kind of a mutual interest for you and your youngest, and then your youngest obviously going on to 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 go on to do it. And you mentioned kind of being uh, really awed by the greats and all of that. But what has what has that looked like for you in terms of your own history with with just experiencing stand-up comedy and and you know, who are some of your faves? Oh, OK. I think
1: the, it is interesting in, to me when I look at, you know, what, what my kids are interested in, what my friend's kids are interested in, and noticing how some um, – I've got one particular friend, for example, who is really into cars – he had a classic car company. He really into cars. His son, funny enough, very much into cars. <laughs> Me, <laughs> very much <laughs> into cars. Yeah. But I, I just wonder whether is it, you know, that whole nature-nurture thing, sure. is it because he was around car magazines or just if his dad was enthusiastic about cars, did that make him appreciate the things in a way that I have zero appreciation for <laughs> sure. you know i mean if i see one on the radio I go, Ooh, for <laughs> a second and that's it right. but that so we as a family were interested as a, in in uh in comedy so i took um we, we went as a family for example when the boys were relatively young seeing billy Connolly. um and um, I have such strong recollections of um, taking them to see Ross Noble. You know Ross. I, I mean, do, yeah. you, obviously you know him. You're you're a fan of his haircut. <laughs> um, always good for an audio podcast. That, um, <laughs> but I remember being in pain with laughing so much at his work. He was. He was, he is an incredible, incredible comedian yeah. um, and seen him in, uh, a number of times. There are hundreds of great comedians and um, I just, I just enjoy, I just enjoy being taken down one route. And when you're busy wandering off down there, they slap you from another <laughs> angle. That's yes. super, super. No,
0: a- absolutely. That's um I, I'm a big stand-up comedy fan myself. I have thought of dabbling with it, um, but I, I, uh, I've kind of resigned myself to, but that's just not where I'm at right now, um, and that's okay. Uh, I love doing this, so this is kind of my my hobby slash interest area. I love doing the podcast, so I'm going to focus on there for now, but I, I do, I have great appreciation for the art of it. And mm. like you said, just the oratory excellence that you have to have to be able to to command, to command an audience, to guide them where you want to be. I mean, it, it really is is truly fascinating stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I am curious. From uh, you mentioned, obviously, your youngest got into it in, in that way. Were, were all of your children um, into it growing up? Or are they? Are they still fans of it? How, how's yeah. that kind of yeah? Yeah, they both. Um, I've, I've only got two. I say only. Oh, okay. Only oh,
1: <laughs> seems a perfect number to me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we were. Um, yeah, definitely both of them interested, okay. and and when they lived here, they they um they were collaborating together on on supporting Aaron's comedy, which was right. lovely to see. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, it's, it's all good. We've talked a lot about family already, and I'm curious from from your your growing up, your your childhood, how how is your family connection, and and do you feel like that? Uh, either enhanced or encouraged you to go a different way from your own upbringing because I think we've seen it both ways with with folks um I
1: I think my parents were pretty progressive for someone who grew up in the 60s for me growing up in the 60s they obviously didn't they grew up you know in wartime and um we as a family, so I'm one of three boys. We were always in, we were always encouraged to do our thing, whatever our thing was. Um, and it's it's interesting looking back because I don't think, I mean I was not a, I was not great learner at school. I I have a very strong will and I don't like being told, and I still don't like being told. And, um, and I think really my education started when I left school and I could be interested in things for myself. Mm. And um, I think it nicely brings us on to my, my second area, which is, which is the work that I do. And the way that I do it and and what it brings me, because I do love learning, which is something I would never have said as a younger person. Um, And I'm fascinated by people and how we work and sharing, not only understanding it for myself, but then sharing it with others so that they can be the best version of themselves that
0: they can be. How did that shift for you? Do you think? Do you think it was just specific connections with with people? But how did that shift from? I'm not a I'm not a strong learner in school, and, and obviously different environments too. Like like, like I don't want to you know take anything away from that. But how did that shift from? Uh, I'm I'm not learning in this way, or I'm not interested in learning this way, to this is now something. Not only do I enjoy, but I find bliss in my, myself doing it, and also facilitating others learning. Um. Thomas,
1: the key thing to, that I look back and recognise is how unconscious I was, and how I operated so unconsciously. Mm. I mean, it's estimated that ninety-five percent of all brain function is unconscious. <laughs> I'm sure I was closer to ninety-nine and a half percent. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, but, but very much as I as I look back, you know, I, I just turned sixty uh, a month or two ago, and it's been a real a moment for me to recognise where I am in life, and this whole uh, consciousness and awareness, you know. But you know, I was brought up in the, I mean, in the sixties, I was a child, but in the a product of the seventies. You know, it wasn't a great era. <laughs> no, the music might have been great, sure. yeah, you know, but really, the you know the the attitudes were. Um, uh, I mean, they were what they were, and you know, thankfully, we've moved on enormously from there. And I, so I think definitely a product of that, but also recognizing when I'm when I'm in charge of what I'm looking at, that's the thing that that makes it so interesting. So that what we would now call, but didn't exist then, is self-directed learning.
0: You're saying also, you know, from from the previous. Uh... For when you were talking about just kind of growing up, you said you don't like being told, yeah, you know, and that's, that's, it sounds like that self-directedness, as you mentioned, that really made a difference in how you've kind of approached, not just learning, but I'm guessing your entire career. Uh,
1: yes, I mean, without doubt. I mean, I think the, the great thing about having a, a career that you start in, in midlife is that you get to choose it. You get to choose who your teachers are, where you're going to go for for additional learning and and new understandings. So um, that made it really just enjoyable Mm. deeply, deeply enjoyable. As I was doing this dual thing of understanding more about how I work as a as a human being and discovering those things that make a difference to us that I was so unaware of, you know, the, the biases, the way that um, external influence is happening. You know, we're learning a lot nowadays about the attention economy. But, you know, I grew up in in the, the well, an early iteration of that, and, but we didn't have any understanding of how impactful it was on us. Right. And, you know, one of the key things that happened to us, for example, when we were newly, newly marrieds in the eighties, is we, were, we, have a, we had a mortgage on our home, interest rates went up to 15%, Oof. absolutely crucified us. But you know because we were living in this atmosphere that said, the thing to do is to buy property and property is the basis of wealth, you have to get property. We all just like lemmings went off and got mortgages and got got screwed by the situation. But, you know, we got over it, fortunately. And, you know, it's worse now for, for youngsters coming through. But that whole recognition that we thought we were making our own decisions, but actually we were so influenced by others that they'd got into our head before we knew they were in our head. Mm. And then we make a decision. We think, oh, yes, it's my own decision. <laughs> and you end up, you know, doing what the, the advertisers want and the politicians want because they've... Um, There's that the whole thing about, you know, they've rented space in your head.
0: Right. But they don't pay rent. Right. Because <laughs> we're the ones stuck paying rent and mortgages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How How has that played out with the folks that you work with? I mean, do you see... Uh, are you able to, or I guess more specifically, like how are you able to kind of shift their mindsets to, I, I don't know, more, I, I want to say freedom of thought, but ju- just to kind of get, yeah, get more kind of free will even back? Yeah. So it makes a difference on whether I'm working with an individual or working in a group.
1: Um, and working in a group has fabulous opportunities for creating dynamics. And allowing people to have an experience and see from that experience. But one of the things that I've really enjoyed doing over the last few years is coming up with new ways of explaining what we're learning. We, the scientific community, <laughs> are learning. So the neuroscientists, the psychologists, you know, they've coming up with some brilliant, brilliant stuff. But most people don't get a they don't get to read it and b. It, it's it's not that accessible. And how does it relate to our daily lives? Right. And so what I think I do quite well is to take that latest learning and put it into a way of understanding that people can recognize and use in their day to day life. Would you like an
0: example? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to ask for.
1: (laughs) I can ask my own questions, you know.
0: (laughs) You don't need Uh, me here. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, So um, here's an example. So, for example, the human brain holds approximately 86 billion cells. 86 billion. And... um, it requires something like 25% of all the um, energy that we produce, all the calories that we produce, to run the human brain. It's a hugely energetically demanding organ. And as a consequence of that, one of the attributes of the brain is it manages its own energy. And so, for example, can I, can, I, can I run a quick thing with you? Please, yeah. This is not original. This came from D- Daniel Kahneman, the great <laughs> Daniel Kahneman. So <laughs> um, so what I'm going to do, Thomas, is I'm going to ask you two questions, and all you need to do is answer them out loud as quickly as you can. Okay. Okay? And there are no trick questions, even if you think I'm going to ask you a trick question. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Um, you ready? Yep. That's not one of the questions. <laughs> Um, question one, what is two times two? Four. Excellent. Second question, what is 17 times 24?
0: I don't know that I can do that math in my head, to be honest Brilliant. with you. <laughs> so uh, so
1: but thank you very much. A, you remember you have control of the edits. So you can make that look really short. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but but the, the key thing is... For you, before, what was the difference in your experience
0: between answering the first question and the second question? If I really think about it, I think there's potentially two that come to mind. The first is that I think two times two, two plus two are, it's a very typical, like that's what a lot of people ask people to do. And it's something that we've practiced over and over and over and over again, um, something you learn very very young um the other one is is just kind of the complicating factor of trying to do more than one digit in my head i suppose um and trying to remember all my math rules Mm -hmm. and so
1: obviously i've asked a lot of people those two questions sure and it seems to me that the difference between the two is is one we do almost automatically The, the two times it requires no effort at all to answer, and the second one, which was really—it's only 17 times 24. It's not, you know, right. 17,483 multiplied. It's really, and a most of us don't do mental arithmetic anymore. Right. But it required more energy, mm. and what happens in the vast majority of of, of people who respond is they answer a different question one which takes less energy like um oh i'm going to need some more time for this i didn't ask how much time do you need to multiply 17 times 24 um or the most common response i get is i'm um insert word appropriately at math (laughs) (laughs) sure yeah um and and again, that's not the question asked, but but the brain throws in an easier uh, d- an answer and it t- t- takes less effort. But who decides whether you take more effort or less effort? Because if I had said to you, I don't know what the number, but Thomas, if you can tell me what 17 times 24 is now without using any calculator or something, I'm going to give you a thousand dollars. Could you do
0: it? I think that I could, yes.
1: I think you could. <laughs> uh, but but somewhere in your brain, we do this, like, cost-benefit analysis. Right. And then, well, what's the point? I don't need to do that. Right. And so the meta- once you've had that experience, and you've had the experience, and hopefully the people at home, w- when they're listening to it, they would also try to do the maths. Yeah. Um, so I say maths, so I'm English. Yeah. Um <laughs> Um, but the the idea now that we recognize that managing energy is a critical function of the human brain and one that's done unconsciously well let's build on that and here's here's my metaphor that i use for for the brain the brain is like a skyscraper without an elevator
0: Yeah, it. Like you said, the energy expanded. Like the the energy that you need to, and would what, you say eighty six billion cells, right? Correct. <laughs> so, yeah, give or take, depending on what you smoked as a kid, <laughs> sure, or currently, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's fascinating.
1: So, the, the if you can imagine this skyscraper, no elevator, mm. and, um what happens is an event happens you know and um for example you're going to an appointment and it's an important appointment and um and you're driving and um you're running you know you're looking at the clock and you're looking at how far you've got to go and you're thinking it's it's tight am I going to get there so in in your skyscraper in your head in goes am I going to get there on time should I phone them well phoning is more effort than not phoning them <laughs> so the effort of phoning them would be like running into the running into the skyscraper and they go oh the effort of um give them a quick call is it's on the third floor run up the stairs or you not do it which is on the ground floor okay i'll not do it because it's a lot <laughs> less effort Baby. or you get you know or maybe you um You get just outside their their building and you see there's a parking space. Yippee! Fantastic. And then you see, just as you're deciding which which of the parking spaces to go into, someone dives in and and takes the parking space and you're stuck out and you can't get there. So remain calm is on the eighth floor. (laughs) Anger is on the first floor (laughs) or the ground floor. (laughs) No effort to go to anger. Much easier, isn't it? And of course, you know, that's a metaphor and it's not true. But the reality is in your is each of our brains. Every time we do something subsequently, we're creating stronger and stronger neural pathways. So it's like, you know, going through a jungle. You either fight your way through the jungle or you go where the path is. And if someone's walked the path before you, it's much less effort. Right and so that's similar to how it is and so when we recognize that so the the course that i run at the moment um for for a group of people their work because it's it's a it's a 26 week course to run it over um six months is to first and foremost map your own skyscraper so where are the different emotions for you for example you may have calm very low down you may go to calm very easily or you may not and it may be on the ninth floor or it may be on the 35th floor i don't know and so once you first you you understand where your emotions are in there because most people can't name more than five emotions if you ask them to do so unbelievable of which normally, five or six, of which normally one is positive, the rest are negative. Um, So we get them to understand that. We get them to understand their values. um, Which of their values live where in their skyscraper, in their mind, so that you can then decide, actually, hang on, I don't want to be like this. I don't want frustration to be so common. I'd much rather have empathy um and you can train yourself to do anything if you're but you can't do it if you're not aware
0: of it right do you see folks who i'm sure i'm sure different potentially different um, environments and different pieces may change this but do you see folks who struggle more with that or or who end up falling back to that first floor because it's kind of the comfort zone versus like once once they're trained once they are aware uh, do you see things that i don't know uh, initiate a, a more base response versus kind of that more learned response
1: yeah again one of the elements that we have to be aware of with regard to human behavior is the power of habit hmm. and um habit is by definition my definition of a habit is unconscious behavior and we are looking always to try and transfer things from our conscious brain to our unconscious brain because it takes up less effort Hmm. so it's you know if if you commute you know that first time you do a particular commute it takes a lot of awareness to, to to do it effectively after you've done it a few times you can literally do it half asleep um and which is freeing up your brain for something else so uh, those habits are so 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 strong and to and to break them there's a lot of very interesting um research on that fantastic book, actually if i was going to recommend this here look right behind me um wendy woods good habits bad habits that's the um, that's the book on habits if you're interested in in yeah. how to understand them and break them um and to and to create good habits there's nothing wrong with habits per se it's only the ones that we don't have awareness of and not recognize therefore what the consequences are
0: right you mentioned that a lot of you said i think you said 95 percent is unconscious when you are essentially trying to make the unconscious conscious you're trying to focus more on conscious thought it do we ever get to a point where um because like you said if you're if you're building good habits those also eventually become unconscious because you can just kind of do them do we ever get past that 95 percent um at at any point with any type of sustainability
1: uh i can't answer that question i'm not qualified to do so um i think my from what i understand you know there is so much that the brain does you know for example um i i got bitten by an insect yesterday itching like mad but let's not and the my brain is organizing what my body needs to deal with that insect bite now i don't need to know about that and frankly if it asked me you know what good am i to say to how to deal with that you know I'm no expert on what the chemical balance is that's needed in my stomach to digest my food. I'll leave that to my unconscious brain. (laughs) So there's so many things. So all of those things um, will happen. And we have to recognize that it's just because it's unconscious doesn't mean it's bad. (laughs) In many ways, it's far better than than me. Um, But there's certainly that area for me i mean i only i can only speak from my own experience and recognizing when i was um particularly unconscious and the results that i was producing through my unconscious behavior weren't what i wanted and therefore that's when i invested my time and trying to understand more about how i operate what's i find it fascinating with that point about what's unique to me and what's a generalized experience so i'll give you another example Funny enough we dealt with this last night on the work in progress course was internal communication now the person with whom i speak the worst with so little tolerance so little kindness so little respect is the communication i have with myself Mm. i I can assure you if anybody else spoke to me the way i speak to me they would be cut straight out of my life
0: yeah
1: and um and we talked about this and we had a hundred percent of the people on the course said yep i'm the same and you're nodding away ferociously (laughs) Um, and and that whole, well, hang on a minute. What, a why is that acceptable? And b, what's the consequence? You know, I would, you know, I wouldn't treat my children or any child, and and speak to them with judgmentalism, with um, so shortly and so harshly. The tone that I had to myself is so horrible. Yeah. And it's not acceptable. Um, so I've decided it's not acceptable. Yeah. And then it's about. So the, the, the thing about personal development is it always takes the same first step. You have to have awareness first. Then you make it. Then you can choose. Then you can act. Right. But no awareness.
0: Nothing's going to change. Right. That, and that is that conscious peace, right? And yeah. yeah, what you're saying resonates with me, not only just on a personal <laughs> level, but uh, three of my last uh, podcast interviews have talked about self-love being kind of the, uh, A, the hardest thing for people, um, and also a base for a lot of change behavior. And if you can't get past that point to, if you can't even self-like, <laughs> much less self-love, how do, you, how do you ever come to a point where, anything is good enough Mm. and i'm wondering whether you had this because a lot of people who
1: do some level of performance and Mm. clearly podcasting is a performance of a kind find it very difficult to listen back to themselves or watch themselves back and i wonder how you experience that
0: yeah i think um I I don't necessarily have that. I, I so I have I've been critical of myself, certainly listening back. The the very first episode I did was really hard to listen to. I felt that it was full of a lot of those pauses, a lot of, you know, the interjecting words. And I do it still, but it's I think it's I'm much more aware of it now. And so listening to that first one was really difficult. But I don't necessarily I don't have the same issue with like listening to my own voice or even seeing myself. And maybe that's some narcissism, (laughs) some undiagnosed narcissism. But I, I really think that for me, it's, it's less about the performance itself or, or even evaluating the performance, but it's, it's more of an, in general, am I doing what I need to be doing?
1: And maybe it's just an acceptance of reality. Sure. And, and if you're, (laughs) And that, I love the phrase, you know, my first is my worst. Yeah. And, you know, otherwise, could you imagine if 100th your hundredth was your worst? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>
0: yeah. no, so that's nothing, a really good point.
1: Yeah. yeah. Nothing wrong with healthy criticism. Right. But that whole, oh, I can't bear it. Right. I mean, that whole not being able to sit with oneself and be okay with it. No, yes give yourself you know feedback where appropriate what you know if you're doing something if you're interjecting and you don't want to be an interjector and you look back yeah you know, I, I didn't i wish i hadn't have done that then sure opportunity for improvement but i think particularly for people who who can't listen back to themselves that's there's something there that yeah. isn't
0: healthy how do you just from your perspective like how do you think you work through that piece if you if you really can't stand to to not only listen to your performance but to evaluate it fairly is there a way that is it just getting someone else involved is it i i, I don't know i'm I, I guess i'm curious your thoughts on, on how you kind of work through that piece okay so another of
1: my um understandings and i say mine cuz i don't believe i i don't believe i've got it from anywhere else but of course there is always that possibility it frightens me i mean god knows how songwriters live with themselves when they create a song i think you know have i have i got this from somewhere else and i feel the same way with the stuff but i think that i'm the only person who has recognised or put it put what i'm about to say in the way that i'm about to say it and If it was somebody else, and they wanted people want to tell me, great. But I think there are four, and only four, kinds of response to an event. Mm. Um, The first response is emotional, um, and because of our evolution, you know the emotional system is much quicker um, for responding because we needed to do that when we were um, hunter-gatherers. Okay. So that's the quickest response and often therefore the first one. Um, the second response, so um, the, 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 the next three are all thinking responses. So the second response is judgmental. And I think we do that. We, our society have, has created a very strong judgmental response. I think we get rewarded for being judgmental and therefore we keep doing it. The third kind of response is is acceptance. You accept it. It is what it is. And the fourth kind of response, I think, is questioning. And... um, I've recognised that I've I'm, I was so interested, so into the, explaining those I've forgotten the exact qu- question and if you tell me the exact question I'll answer it in 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 those terms.
0: Yeah, uh, I guess just how someone can uh, eliminate that that feeling of not being able to listen to themselves or, or giving giving themselves a fair critique without without extreme criticism. That was the point I wanted to make. Perfect so once you've so you have these
1: four possible responses emotional judgmental acceptance or questioning but it's about how we once we've had that if if you rush to judgment about it then you're going to have an emotional reaction to your judgment and then you get into this cycle of negativity if you're able instead to observe with acceptance because what it is is what it is, and particularly if you talk about watching a recording, you can't change what's happened. It's right. that's fact. <laughs> it's happened. You know. Um, you know. You may change. You might decide. I don't want to. I don't want to release that podcast, for example. I'm going to redo it. Fine. And that's a choice to make. But the, you cannot change what's happened. So it's about using. Turning your feedback from a judgmental form of feedback to an observational form of feedback, what happened? So, for example, I'll take the one we had earlier. Um, the guest was answering the question. I interrupted, and the impact of that was that he lost his thread.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you just notice it. And in the noticing, you go, okay, so and then you can ask yourself a question. What was it that caused me to interject? What did I have in my mind? What did and and then you're into improvement because you use observation with questioning, whereas most of us just use judgment with emotion.
0: Right. Yeah. So really getting into those latter two, but in a way that is. that that doesn't necessarily ignore the other two. There may be emotion, there may be judgment, but it's using that almost for a positive impact versus kind of the negative pieces that Mm. may be automatic for us.
1: And and to take another element that goes in there, because the thing is, although we crave simplicity because it takes much less effort. And I did for years. It's only very recently I've been able to embrace the complexity of human beings. Um, the judgment and the emotion often are related to our expectations. So we'll set up an expectation. If we don't meet the expectation, that's when the judgment kicks in. And, and who's, where's the expectation come from? Right. Your parents, almost certainly. (laughs) It's always them. Always. (laughs) But, But yeah. Um, or, you know, and you hear people say proudly, I have the highest expectations of myself. Right. And, okay, okay. And, and when they are, when they serve you, fine. But if they, if they have the impact of holding you back and being a source for you to self flagellate, mm. well, how does that help? Right.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, uh, I really resonate with that for a variety of reasons and the, the piece of around expectations. And I ask this all the time, who, who does this matter for? And who does this matter for? Like, who is this expectation for? Like you said, like this. And sometimes, yeah, I agree. Like, I think uh, the base is it came from the parents. But a lot of times I'll sit there and say, I'm the only one who cares about this in this particular way. And mm-hmm. why am I so fixated on it if no one else is going to notice, care, et cetera? But I'm so fixated on it because I am critical of myself and in a in oftentimes in not healthy ways. And so yeah, I I do think that for me, I've really I've really tried to think about those expectations and how they play out just in my own mind, because they are not, they are not external factors that are necessarily piecing those together
1: mm. and when you know I, I again I don't know about your education system that you grew mm. up in or your kids are experiencing now but you know when you put kids in a class and you say you know here's a test you're, you're number one you're number two you're number three you're number 28 <laughs> you're teaching them to compare yeah and <laughs> and at a time when their brains are so uh, malleable and so open to um, impressions, and we take the the, the viewpoints of those who are in authority. And of course, our teachers, when we're young, are authority, and they're right. right. And therefore, and and you know, the people who suffer often the most are the people who are the first. Right. They've got yeah. everything to lose.
0: You have. You have to stay there. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think <laughs> to your point. Western society, certainly American society, um, not only the focus on that, but the focus on individualism, the focus on competition, all of that, I think breeds that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> this time has really flown by, but it has been an absolute delight for me. Um, just two last questions. The first is, if you have any advice for people finding bliss, and that can be through family, that can be through um, you know, any of the pieces that we've discussed around consciousness what would you what would you advise my listeners in in terms of finding their own bliss in this way I I think
1: try everything until you find what works for you there's you know there's some people there's a such a huge amount of things that you can do that you don't know what you're going to love until you do it. Whether it's downhill skiing or uphill climbing or a million other things in between. Don't listen to some old geezer on a podcast. (laughs) Go and try something. Try anything. Try everything and like it or don't like it
0: move on till you find something you love. I think that's beautifully said. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think I've tried to apply that to my own life, but I think there's, there's certainly ways where I think most of us could probably be better at doing, at doing that and, and really focusing on that. And I think that's a, a extremely beautiful sentiment. And the last thing is, is there anything you'd like to promote? Um, well, if, if people want to find me, uh, which
1: would be lovely, um, i'm on um so my my website is dynamiccoaching.co.uk. the programs that i run so individual coaching and the group coaching is called work in progress because that's all we are details are on the website um second second course is going to be starting soonish um when i when i get my act together um, <laughs> It's it's a work in progress, the work in progress. Absolutely. Um and obviously follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, you can find me, Twitter, you know. I bet, I bet, you know, if you can't find me, don't follow me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think that that's very fair. <laughs> yeah. We'll put, we'll also put all of those links in the show, uh, in the show description. So hopefully uh it'll be easy for people to find. But Nick, thank you so much. It really has been an absolute pleasure and um you know, we've, we've loved having you on what's your bliss. And, um, honestly, I'd, I'd love to have you back sometime. That would be delightful. Thank you so much. Best of luck with the rest of your podcast career and everything you do. Thank you so much. Take care. You can find what's your bliss at anythingbutcredible.com and on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. Please follow on Twitter and Instagram at your bliss pod and like what's your bliss on Facebook. If you have any questions for me, or if you'd like to be a guest or advertise on the podcast, please email me at yourblisspodcast at gmail.com. Please check out anythingbutcredible.com to find all the additional awesome content and podcasts, including Offended, Movie Merge, Going Off Topic, and of course, the Anything But Credible podcast.